Uh, Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, we have a special guest in the building. We have Judge Brown, and he is a well-known TV court judge and a former Shelby County criminal court judge as well. And he also ran for Shelby County District Attorney. But now the courtroom is on social media where he offers commentary and legal expertise, as well as speaking on pertinent social issues that relates to Black America. Welcome to Necessary Podcast. Judge Joe Brown, how are you, black man? All right, I'm here. By the way, that's not Shelby County. That is a lower court. I was a state court judge, and I had appellate jurisdiction over the county courts. Okay, yes, that definitely In our trial court. County courts just try misdemeanors and traffic stuff. I tried first-degree murders, rapes, robberies, burglaries, and all that kind of stuff. Conspiracies, treason, and all kinds of interesting stuff that everybody turns into these whodunit uh, CSI things to look at. Okay, okay. So my first question to you, Judge Joe Brown, is, you know, we were together at the foundation Black America Conference, and you really gave a hell of a uh, presentation. And one of the most pertinent things that stuck out to me is when you spoke about manhood, uh, what it is to be a man, as well as the dialect of man. Can you elaborate for those who are not privy to attend that conference of what manhood is when it becomes when, when when it pertains to black man? It pertains to all men. See, your manhood is universal. I guess if you went back, had a time machine, you could check out Alley Oop in a cave. It'd be the same thing. It's your job to protect, to serve, and provide. You got to man up and to do that, you got to deal with committing yourself to protecting womanhood and promoting manhood. Promoting manhood means you get on your fellows and say, man, that's not the manly way of congratulations. You did it. And then you have to train up the youth into manhood. See, Mm -hmm. you also have to get the young girls so they understand how to deal with a man. So that's a whole different issue, but it's also part of the thing. You have to commit yourself to duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, doing the stuff you're supposed to do, commit yourself to public peace, dignity, and order. You got to be under self-control, not emotional when you act. And if you do let emotions enter into anything, they just become motivations, but they don't control you. You have to be brave and courageous when necessary. You have to prepare yourself. You have to use your mind because ain't no dummy can do a damn thing except get in the way. So when we talk about emotional intelligence, I would like to know, how do you feel about the Breonna Taylor um, decision? Like, what is your response to that? How do you feel about that? Well, to me, it's a matter of work. So I just go through the checklist and the analysis. If this were 40 years ago, what would have happened in America as it would have about 30 years ago is about the same. The local DA would have charged the boyfriend who was in the apartment who opened fire with assault to commit murder. 
and then under the doctrine of murder in the perpetration of a robbery, not a robbery, murder in the perpetration of a felony, which is known as felony murder, he would have imputed the killing of Breonna Taylor to the boyfriend, so we would have had a sham trial on the issue of whether the boyfriend committed murder, uh, attempted to commit murder by shooting at the cops, and if he did, then Breonna Taylor's death would be attributed to him. See, the principle goes this way. There's a liquor store. There's a guy that works there. He's got a pistol behind the counter. Guy walks in to hold it up. The guy that tries to hold it up tries to shoot the man that works there. They have a shootout. A stray bullet fired by the manager hits a bystander, kills the bystander. The manager's not charged with murder. The person who started the robbery did because the murder followed from the attempt to perpetrate the felony. That's the way they would have done it. But this time, you've got two things going on that the first time I got exposed to them was long ago. In fact, 50 years ago in law school, we talked about this being one of those opportunities for there to be collateral damage the way we put it to ordinary innocent bystanders because two rights come into play. Mm -hmm. Uh, they call it the castle doctrine now, but the boyfriend who was present in the apartment had to write under what's now known as the castle doctrine to open fire when somebody made a tumultuous sudden entry. That was his right. Meanwhile, the police had a common law right to self-defense, which an ordinary citizen would have. So they could defend their own lives. They shot back. They didn't hit him. He didn't hit them. And Brianna Taylor was laying asleep and got caught in the crossfire. Fire got hit by eight bullets that went through an apartment wall, one of which killed her. Now, one of the cops got indicted for a crime that was separately committed, which was some states would call it reckless endangerment, which is he fired into another apartment with no cause. So he got charged. Now, the young man that did this is 34 years old, and I think he's the youngest elected uh, state attorney general in the country. I think that's too young because you don't know enough about life and law to really do it, but he showed balls by not yielding to the mob. Now, the mob wants him to prosecute Breonna Taylor, right. but they settled it. That's just sometimes... The word is shit happens. That's what I just have a question, though, is. a follow up to what you said in regards to the castle doctrine. The only thing is, though, I thought that when they return fire, it's not for bystanders. It has to be the person who shot. No, in other words, in other words, what would happen if is if if one party who started this was wrong or committing a felony or trying to and the other party shot back and missed him and killed Breonna Taylor, then the guy that opened fire trying to say, hold it up or evade arrest. Had it been the first boyfriend who was using her address to get his mail and supposedly seen there, according to the assertions, but it's a dead issue. The grand jury returned a no true bill mm. and uh, the family, the survivors settled civilly. So that's the end of it. Now, Everybody says, why didn't the DA control the grand jury? Well, guess what? The grand jury controls itself. In most states, the district attorney only appears at the invitation of the grand jury. There are three ways that they can initiate a felony prosecution. 
by finding probable cause. There are only three ways. One is by information, which is when the defense and the prosecution consent that there is probable cause. The other one, no, excuse me. Let me try to break that down so in layman's terms, it's not too doggone complicated. Okay, there's what you call a presentment. That's when the grand jury operating on its own can issue its own subpoenas as it is acting under the control of the grand jury foreman. It can bring in the DA, it can bring in the sheriff, it can bring in witnesses. It's secret, it can do what he wants to do. That's like, for example, if the sheriff or the DA is under investigation, that's called a presentment. The next one is called an indictment where the district attorney can present a bill to the grand jury saying, we think these things happened. And the grand jury says, we invite you to present your proof. We only hear one side of it, but we have to determine if there's probable cause. If they do that, they return a true bill of indictment. The next one is what you call prosecution upon information. And that is where the defense and the prosecution stipulate that there's probable cause and they waive the grand jury. So uh, presentment, where the grand jury acts on its own, indictment, where the DA is invited to make a presentation to them so they can determine if there's probable cause and where there is a stipulation uh, known as an information by all parties concerned. So in this case, the grand jury could have told the DA, get the hell out of here. We don't want you in here. They don't have to let the DA in. Mm. So there's 24 people on a grand jury and the uniform common law around the country was that 12 out of the 24 had to find probable cause. So a lot of states divide the 24 into 12 and every time they present probable cause, it's got to be unanimous. Probable cause, though, is only an accusation. It is not a condemnation. It's just you have to stand trial because there's probable cause to believe that somebody did something against the public peace, dignity, and order of either that state or of the United States of America. Okay. Uh, Brown, I want to ask you a question, right? And then we'll move on to the uh, next topic. Now, real quickly... Um, I remember I was reading Judge uh, Bruce, what was his name? They just called him, uh, cut him loose, Bruce. White, right? Black Rose, White Justice. Yeah, Black Rose, White Justice. You know yeah. that book, right? And I always heard in the legal field that um, a grand jury as well as an um, a attorney general or district attorney can indict a ham sandwich. Like, it's so easy to get an indictment. It the depends on with, what's going on. All right, now the problem with this district attorney, I know you heard that saying. Yeah, that but he didn't do anything fight. wrong. In other words, let's put it this way. From 50-some years ago in law school, from being in this system for 50 years, from being a judge, if somebody had proved everything that everybody accuses the police of and they had been indicted, at the conclusion of the state's proof against them where they attempted to establish and did establish everything that was claimed they did, they would be entitled to 
a directed verdict of acquittal. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the court is directing you that under the law, you ought to return a verdict of acquittal when it comes to the defendants on trial. In other words, under the law, they did nothing. Even if you take everything that was said, that's not a crime. It's like this. Okay. Uh, there's a 25 uh, zone because there's a school. Some fools are drag racing and somebody's going 95 through the 25 zone. Uh, they lose control, hit and kill somebody. Well, that's vehicular homicide. It's a crime. You're driving down the same road at a reasonable rate of speed. And it's wintertime and all of a sudden there's glare ice and a whole bunch of cars pile up and somebody dies. That's not criminal. That's just a tragedy. You see a whole lot of things that happen in the law is just, it fell between the cracks. In other words, the police were doing what they were entitled to do. The citizen was doing what he was entitled to do. And what happened? He didn't commit a crime. They didn't commit a crime. Breonna Taylor just got caught in the crossfire from two people, two sides exercising their rights. That's a tragedy. All right, my, Black, next, my next question. One, one point, just this. Black okay. folk are always talking about, hey, man, you know, like, what you got on? Well, I say, you know, why are you armed, you know? The police will just get an excuse to gun you down, and if you try to shoot it out with them, even if you had the right, they'll kill you. Well, guess what? They didn't. So he walked out of jail uncharged because he committed no crime. That's the castle doctrine. That's what they call it now. But prior to this, there were only six states out of 50 that did not have a de facto castle doctrine. When I charged a jury for a murder case, when somebody was defending themselves because they were the homeowner or the tenant in the place, they got the charge that goes with the castle doctrine. In other words, if someone attempted to make a tumultuous entry, the defendant had a right under the law to open fire immediately. But what is this that we're hearing that the lieutenant got the, the no-knock warrant under false pretenses and that they weren't um, forthcoming in the information that they shared in order to get the, the no-knock warrant? Well, let me tell you, the deal is that the warrant has to be issued by an independent magistrate, to wit, usually a lower court judge. So the probable cause has to be stuff that would commit, convince an independent person that there is probable cause that a crime was committed. Now, that's not what the case is when you have an application for a criminal charge. Like, what happened? They kicked down my door and they shot my house up. I want a warrant out for aggravated assault or assault or murder. What happened is there was already an existing warrant so what the whole deal is about, about the misinformation, is in a matter that really doesn't have much to do with this. Breonna Taylor's apparent ex-boyfriend had a warrant outstanding for him for drug dealing, a felony, and he had allegedly been using her address to get his mail and allegedly had been seen going by there. Now, when even if there was an application for, say, a search warrant, the informant does not have to be revealed because what happens? The confidential informant's life may be at risk if you've got organized crime or some gangster stuff going on in the hood. Okay. 
So, I mean, this law is not new. These aren't things that have been passed in the last four or five years. This has been the law since the Constitution was adopted in 1789, and before that, the common law going back a thousand years in England. So, I mean, there's nothing new. See, if they educated people like they used to when I was going through school, you would have heard all of the answers to this when you were in the fifth grade, but they don't teach you that stuff now. Okay, well, we're going to move right, my, my next question, real quick, Marcia. My next question is, a lot of people are upset because um, they did indict him on uh, wanton endangerment, but he won't tell the public whether he even brought the case of the other two police officers to the grand jury, and he's being evasive about that. It's nobody, it's not the public's business. The public vote. No, 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 no. That's CNN and that's the National Enquirer for Inquiring Minds. The deal is, is also, since there's a potential criminal liability, you just say, I take the Fifth Amendment. I refuse to testify. I refuse to make a statement on the grounds that may tend to incriminate me. So he shuts up. You can't make him talk under American law. See, that's what people don't get because you got sleazes like Nancy Grace has been out there since the OJ trial preaching about the Fifth Amendment is bad. That's what happened in the uh, Dr. Cosby's trial. That sorry judge there didn't apply the Fifth Amendment, which says you cannot be compelled to say anything. You have an absolute right to remain silent. In other words, you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and may be used in evidence against you. I have nothing to say. By the way, let me give you a little piece of word up for anybody listening. For most states, if the cops ask you what happens and you say, I don't know, that's just Fifth Amendment. But if you are being interviewed by a federal agent like FBI or Treasury Department and they say, we have you under investigation for a bank robbery and you say, I don't know anything about it. Well, guess what? They may have 15 counts relative to the bank robbery. They can't prove and you'll be found not guilty on 15 counts, but because they said something to you about what you're there for, and you say, I don't know nothing about it. They will get you convicted on that one count of making a false statement to a federal officer. You have a right to remain silent. So if the feds have you in, just shut your mouth and say, I don't have anything to say. You don't say, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. You crazy. Just say, I don't have anything to say. Okay. I exercise my fifth amendment. So you I'm cannot afraid. make an American say anything. <laughs> yeah, Marcia, what's your next question? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on Donald Trump's uh, new uh, platinum plan? $500 billion. Well, In access it, to loans, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I mean, but Here's the thing. See, you have to understand about Trump. I have clients whom I cannot reveal due to the attorney-client privilege from 30, 35 years ago who were seeking finance. They tell me, three of them anyway, just in the Memphis area, and I assume that's a microcosm, that they were directed toward Donald Trump to get the business loans. They got the business loans he required that they make the final payment, well, the only payment on the term loan along with the interest directly to him. They tell me he tore their checks up and said, congratulations. Uh, I always like people who can do business, so I like to help. You know, when Jesse Jackson ran for president, he donated office space to his national campaign and 
raise the finances for Jesse's two runs for president. So that's just something he does. So I'm not surprised that being in office as president, he's encouraging legislation to do just exactly what he did when he was the president. Now, one of the problems we have in the black community is instead of a capital being accumulated like it is in every other national community, every other ethnic group, ours all go into the goes into the church collection plate. So, for example, the churches in the Memphis Shelby County area, it's the largest predominantly black county in America, believe it or not. And we've got at least $7 billion in outstanding mortgage obligations for black churches that's sucking that $7 billion out of the black community that could have been used for economic development. You see, white people, Asians, Mexicans, you know, Indians, Pakistani, they don't come in here and absorb all of that investment capital. They put a penny in the collection plate, that's it. I tithe 20%, show Jesus how much I love. It seems like you're not you're not paying attention to the wealth gap, like, you know, because black- Well, the wealth gap is to a great extent our fault. Oh. You know why? No. You know why? <laughs> why? Here's the thing. Every other ethnic group, bar none, makes its initial capital because they invented or perfected some skill. They are science, technology, engineering, and math. That's how the Jews got the money in the country here. That's how the Japanese and the Chinese got the money. That's how Mexicans get it. They buy gas stations where everybody needs some damn gas and they buy it from a distributor who sells it at the same price to everybody, particularly in California. Financing from the government when they come over. But, but you see, we haven't had that available from the government for 50 years. See, under the LBJ administration, that was available. But the only thing they got left over from that was the safety net of welfare, now public assistance, which became a way that uh, people could live off of by instead of getting assistance to deal with babies they had, they get babies so they can get the assistance check. Now it's they've stopped it, but the habit has become part of our culture. Now but this guy- know, I think if we focus more on like the differences between what these other communities that you brought up they receive certain um, um, incentives that black people do not receive. That's yeah, but see, they're important. Oh, what's that? Jews, they're important. See, Jews, Irish, Italians, everybody looked down on them when they got here, but they exercised political power. They had gangsters, but the gangsters started running politics. Uh, they had gangs, but the gangs started raising capital and putting it back in their communities. But see, no, that's the not gangs, all that happened, though, Jay. No, but see, but see, they exercised power. See, but what, what we about do, the ethnic? They were being targeted too and had biases. But they yeah, but, but you see, here's people. the problem. Here's the problem. We belong to one party. We're on this damn democratic, uh, demogatic party plantation. Whatever they do, we vote for. So they don't deliver anything. That's true. They used to 50 years ago when it was a new thing. That gap between 1931 when FDR ran the first time up until after the Johnson administration, 
that 20 year period, black folk got stuff for what they did. Since then, we haven't gotten a damn thing. If you vote for somebody black, what you're giving is something for somebody that's gay. See, all of our black caucus, they're really the gay black caucus or the black gay caucus. All of them, they like to swing. See, that's what's going wrong with a lot of local politics. The Republicans and the Democrats, they get together on certain levels and they swing, they swap wives, they swap each other, boy on boy, girl on girl. So when they deal with this LGBTQ thing, that's okay for politics for them, but it's down low politics, I call it, where the driving engine is LGBTQ rather than it is the economic concern of the constituents. Mm -hmm. See, I heard them 50 years ago plotting this stuff. And if you go on the LGBT website, they tell you about it. In other words, join each party, Republican and Democrat, raise all kinds of hell with each other. And while everybody's looking at the confusion and going, oh, my goodness, then you take care of business. For example, when we had a government shutdown a year or so ago and everybody's going, oh, my God, the government shut down. These were some busy little beavers in these Mm. committees, and they got more stuff drafted, ready to go for the LGBTQ crowd than they have in a long time, like the anti-lynch bill, which is the Equality Act that House Negro Cory Booker and fake Negro uh, Kama Sutra Harris brought up after, get this, Jesse Smollett's, Juicy Jesse Smollett's aunt by marriage, Camilla Harris, brought up after he got that fake noose around his neck that I've actually seen video that the Chicago detectives got from a costume shop during the Halloween week where he and one of the Nigerians walk in there and buy that noose that he puts around his neck. See, and everybody at this club he was belonging to said, hey, they've been plotting this stuff for months. The whole deal is they want to get this uh, Equality Act passed. It has nothing to do with lynching. Lynching is not mentioned one time. It does not talk about black folk except interlineating after race, color, etc. insert the following language. And it basically is legitimating pedophilia as a condition that would be covered under the Americans with disabilities or along the lines of a religion, a belief. So it's like, fortunately, it's stalled in the House. The Democrats got it brought back up off of the uh, out of committee after they relabeled it the anti-lynch bill, it passed on the first voice vote with no debate. You Mm -hmm. remember this mess where they jumped all up and down for two weeks with this charade about whether we should have hearings to determine whether reparations are appropriate and Kama Sutra Harris and Cory Booker were grandstanding and they never did anything about it. Well, two weeks later, without debate on a voice vote, they passed what is styled the Gay Reparations Act. So it gives them all kinds of insurance business. It's actually styled the Gay Reparations Act. They did that two weeks later on a voice vote, no debate, first call. Mm. Now see, that's what I meant about while there's confusion going on, black folk are all up in arms and you see what happens 
let's take BLM. You get some black folk coming out there. So there are a few of them in the crowd. You got 200 people out of a million and a half in the city or 600,000 in the city. It's the same 150, 200 every night. And you have five or six black folk out there. They focus on them. And then it's supposed to be this mass uprising in America, the Black Lives Matter movement, and really BLM is Black Lesbians Matter or Black Lesbian Mania. You might as well say Black Folk Matter. We talked about that. Black families matter. Black females matter. Black fathers matter. Black finance matters. See, we have to get unstuck on stupid and start getting the tools we need. All of this time spent in front of a television looking at NBA, NFL. I said that during my remarks, but I didn't elaborate on it. Won't hear now, but just on a different tack. We spend so much time cluttering our brains up with useless nonsense. You see, that is not how you earn a living unless you happen to be one of the very, 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 very few who actually has this kind of, uh, you know, that kind of uh, athletic ability, which very few have, you know, you don't weigh, uh, you're not six one and weigh two fifteen and can run a nine six hundred, or you can run a four two forty, and you have moves and you got a built in uh, gyroscope, you know, so you can play football. You're not six feet seven and you've got good hand-eye coordination so you can play basketball, or you some way found some place to play baseball these days, which, you know, you got into that, or you a Tiger Woods, and, you know, 100 years ago, you know, you got 200 men chasing, white men chasing one black guy. It's a Klan rally. Now they're trying to catch up with Tiger Woods on a PGA circuit, you know. But, I mean, see, that's unreal. Mm-hmm. Judge Joe Brown, Judge Joe Brown, real quickly, right? You you mentioned the um the KKK and the Ku Klux Klan, right? I want to go back a little bit, and then um uh, uh Marcia, she's gonna ask you another question. But with this uh platinum plan for Black America, right? Oh, the declaration. Yeah, let, let, this is just, the only American president that has ever moved to have the Klan and now Antifa declared uh, to be right, terrorist right, organizations. That, that's my question, right? So in this proposal includes persecu- persecuting the Ku Klux Klan and Antifa as terrorist organization, making Juneteenth a federal holiday, and then he got efforts to boost uh, black economic prosperity, right? All of that sounds good, right? But I don't remember the last time the Ku Klux Klan lynched anybody, did anything to anybody. Uh, well, so- there is a possibility. That you're not being told in the news. I got in two years or three years, two years ago with some people in Oregon, Washington, and in Alaska. And there is a movement by uh, this Aryan nation bunch to have the feds donate some land to them so they can have a white state. Oh yeah, so yeah. There, it's, there have been a number of black folk lynched, hung from trees with signs taped to them or hung around their neck, saying this is the Klan, this is the Aryan Nation, this is so on and so forth. We lynched him because he got out of hand. So 
I Plus, remember three, I, I was at a conference and I looked at all of the photographs and everything and the reports. I went online later when I got back to Memphis, I couldn't find a word in it. And there were seven to nine people that had been lynched over a 14 month period, literally hung from trees. And there wasn't a word in any of the alt press, the mainstream press media of any form on it. See, there is a reality on that. Do you think that Donald Trump is pandering to black people because he had four years in office to do all of this, and this is like his Hail Mary last ditch event? Uh, uh, well, here's the here's reality in political science. Presidents presidents can't really get a program in place in less than two terms. If you jump the program on the first term, unless it's one that's got mass appeal, you won't get a second term to do anything about it. That's what happened to Jimmy Carter and George Herbert Walker Bush. They had different things they were pushing, but they started off in the first term and they did not get the clear sailing because in the first term, a president has to be aware of the fact that he's going to run for an election. So what he can do once he's got his final term in office and he's not running for election again, he can do a whole lot of other stuff. The only thing that I would say is you've got the Kenyan Bush money, mulatto Bush money. You had uh, running for office, Hillary Republican Rodman Clinton, former racist Goldwater girl. You had uh, Al Gore in my ex-law office used to represent Al Gore. So I know him personally. You had him, you had Carter, and you hadn't had anybody say anything about this, pandering or otherwise. But I'd rather get pandered to by promising $500 billion than by the fact that I got a bottle of hot sauce in my purse. Well, you would have to trust that he would come through because Donald Trump. Well, I'm saying he did this for all of these black businessmen 30 years ago. You but know, he used to date a black woman. A he was engaged to her. No, you don't he, think he, he comes off as a liar and that he would just, he's an opportunist and he would just say whatever he needed to say. Well, but the bottom line is, is that everybody that knows him says he doesn't like many people. And he does like people who are doing something. You don't even have to make a lot of money. It's just if you're good at it. Now, my ex-wife was a ski instructor. And one of her good buddies, who was a family friend, now dead, was a downhill ski racer for the Bulgarians back during the Cold War. And he became a ski instructor, and he became Trump's last wife, her coach, Ivana Trump, the ski racer. And we had occasion to talk with her, and this was way before he had displayed any political ambition. She just said, he is not easy to get along with, but when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And he does not like many people unless they're doing something with themselves, and he will give anybody a break one time. He says he's not above pandering, so to speak, not to us, because he doesn't really anticipate getting any votes from us, but he just does stuff according to her because it's the right thing. Now, he 
right before this wife for two years, he was engaged to his sister. Good looking sister was a professional model. And she says they broke up for a number of reasons, but he was always like that. If he said he was going to do something, he'd do it. So the businessmen, the three of them that were clients of mine said, this is what he said he was going to do. And he did it. So I'm just saying this goes back 35 years from people that I know who said he kept his word. It just you doesn't mean that to real uh, opportunities as far as wealth, like uh, reparations, for instance. Like, why are they so against just giving reparations? Well, here's what the problem is. For 2017, the gross total income of the United States was about $19.2 trillion. If you gave every person identified on the 2010 census as black, half million dollars, that would work between 14 and $15 trillion. So that would mean you would be obligated for all but one fourth of one year's total gross income. And that would be an outlet and that isn't even a net. So no entity can operate on that kind of debt. The other thing is, is here's the problem. The statute of limitations on any wrong done by a private entity against anybody that's a black ancestor has long run. Anything done by a governmental entity is subject to sovereign immunity unless the state or the federal government grants you the right to sue. You see, you have to be given permission to sue a government. So in order to to the Jewish people. You can't go into court because you don't have any standing. So they have to give you permission. So in order to get reparations, which I would love to get half a million dollars to take a good vacation with, you know, what the hell? Or buy uh, another Bentley or something, you know, no big deal. But, or invest in, I don't know, something would come up, buy some junk bonds and play for a few months, buy, sell, and trade. Okay, now, That said, in order to get reparations, Congress and the Senate have to pass an Appropriations and Enablement Act. In other words, they have to provide the money and they have to enable legislation to allow it. The president has to sign off on it. It has to survive challenges which are guaranteed to occur from a lot of southern states to constitutional challenge. And then after five, six, seven years, maybe somebody will trickle some out. Now they gave some of the Native Americans right after World War II, but they still haven't got it because most of it's tied up in red tape. And you have to live on a reservation to really get anything out of it. They gave some to the Japanese, but they had a list of everybody that was locked up in one of these internment camps. That made it easy. And they got between 23 and $26,000, not a half million. will get you a cheap car these days. So, I mean, what is it? It's something. It's something. It's something, but it's a token. (laughs) Now, do you know we actually got reparations once? When? January 18th, 1865, General Tecumseh Sherman signed an order as commander of the district that included that swath when he marched through Georgia. He ordered land confiscated from all of the treasonous sessionists, and 40 acres was to be given to every black family along with one army mule. 
General Grant okayed it, and so did Lincoln as commander-in-chief. He started it. So by the end of January, they were giving out 40-acre parcels and one mule to all Black families that had been freed. And there was a process where a new family could apply for the 40 acres and one army mule. The Republican House and the Republican Senate okayed it, started putting money into it. Lincoln got assassinated. And then by the end of June, what happened is... They Johnson, took it back. We didn't ever get it. <laughs> who was from Tennessee and a Democrat. No, we got it. It was working for more than six months, and it was in Friedman's Hospital at Howard University. Hell, I was born there. I know about that one. But the bottom line is, is while it's working great, at the Johnson that Lincoln had picked to try and heal the nation for his last term, he exited it on order because the South was still a military district and he had that authority as commander in chief. So we haven't had it since. Now in my lifetime, this is the third time reparations has come up and each and every time everybody was hollering around about it like they are right now. And then it petered off because it just became obvious that rhetoric aside, you're not going to get a Senate and a House who will pass well, and a president. Ask you something. Now, you remember when Johnny Cochran was getting ready to um, him and uh, Willie Gary and all them came together and they was getting ready to, um, get, you know, put in a suit for reparation. Now, you said that you have to sue for it. Which well, is, yeah, but I know him and we discussed it. He, I, the three of us all discussed it. I know Willie Gary well. I know Johnny Cochran well. Met Johnny Cochran in 1966 at UCLA. He went there. I went there. Okay. Uh, the so last time I saw him, about that? the last time I saw him was in a conference in San Francisco. He was standing up on a table because I really cut up on that conference and he was yelling. But now, here's what the deal is. Their objective was not a realistic expectation of success what they were trying to do is heighten consciousness and awareness you see they wanted to deal with a situation where they got denied on the appellate level so that they could go into what was at the time a more friendly congressional and senatorial environment and say look we need legislation because the supreme court's rule this is not Copacetti with American law right now. So you have to change it by statutory fiat. So that's what they were attempting to occur. Uh, that's what they told me. They were attempting to do that so they could engineer the necessity for legislative correction, which they might have gotten. You know, sometimes something goes up in the appellate courts, denied, and the legislative body allows it. But the problem with having a, a democratic House and Senate is that they might double cross us and give all of those rights to having reparations for the LGBTQ crowd to expand what they've already got. And we still get nothing, but we played the cannon fighter for it, so to speak. Next thing is, is if you get a Democratic House and Senate in, they want to take your guns and now everybody's armed up. So a lot of the Antifa bunch and the BLM bunch, they're talking about defunding and getting rid of the police and you know how the real hood is what you're supposed to do you don't have any weapons you don't have any police you don't have anything else what are you supposed to do 
Oh, yeah, man, Crips and Bloods and Gangster Disciples, Traveling Vice Lords, man, you know, hey, come on in and run the place. Mm-mm. You know, see, that's where you go. So there's all of this fallout. And if you get them in, what you're going to have is another 18-month debate on who gets to piss in the ladies' room besides the ladies. And by the way, the executive order that dude signed didn't just deal with the bathroom. That also said that boys who wanted to be girls were entitled to get naked in the locker rooms of junior high school girls and in the locker rooms of high school girls and get butt naked up in the show uh, shower with both of them during PE. Can you see dudes standing up there with dick hung down, soap down, and a bunch of soap down naked girls who aren't going to take showers and get in there with him, you know, or them? You know, that's just poison. What kind of fool are you? Where did you grow up? Well, that's right. He didn't grow up in America, did he? So we're coming close to like the end of this program. But I wanted to ask you one more thing. Um, What do you think the top agenda should be for black Americans when casting their vote for the um, upcoming presidential election? To destroy the press, to destroy the current Democratic Party, even if you got to hold your nose, vote against them. Now, I have been a lifetime Democrat, run as a Democrat from political office, got elected to 16 years worth of term before that debacle with the DA's thing, where I was told by the investigators that the voting machines were hacked. And by the way, that wasn't Republican. The voting machines were hacked back in 2000. The Justice Department gave Shelby County all the money needed to replace them 12 years ago. And every time it comes up for a simple majority resolution by the black Democratic dominated county commission and their term limited. So it's not been the same. But black folk have blocked replacement of the machines because they're bought off. Uh, they're in the closet. Some other people are in the closet with them and they don't want it told or they're getting something under the table. So, you know, it's like we need to just make it poison. So it's an old political perp point, but black folk don't, have never done it. In other words, switch parties. So the people that counted on you and felt they owned you would say, oh, man, oh, well ran dry. And what is it? You don't miss your water till your well runs so dry. And then the other say, yeah. Vote to the Republican Party, or are you suggesting just that vote against them? Party. No, Another we can't. Form, well, let me tell you about the problems with find, uh, forming an own party. Damn near every state requires that X amount of money be on deposit at a bank to back the party. We don't have that kind of money. Every doggone county in the state has to have a certain number of signatures backing that party to get on a ballot and to use the election machinery of a state. There's usually an elected or appointed state election commissioner. They're usually elected or appointed state, uh, well, county election commissioners. So you evoke the whole mechanism of the state and the political party becomes part of the official machinery of the state in determining the mechanism for selecting the people that are responsible for legislative and governance and judicial aspects of the state's business. So we don't have that capital right now. And the problem is, Montana, how many black folk you got in Montana that you're going to get on the ballot for a black political party? Or South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, 
Arizona, New Mexico. We've got a few little enclaves, but how many black folk you have scattered around those states? You don't. Didn't, didn't the Green Party was able to do that? But they weren't black, and they did not do anything except protest because they aren't registered as a party in every state. See, oh. that's the problem. Okay. See, in other words, when the Democratic Party came into being at the beginning of the 19th century, they were chartered to spread and expand slavery. And there were a whole lot of people that were very much into that. In 1851, when the Republican Party was chartered, one of their programs and their articles of incorporation was they were for abolition. Ending slavery. And there were a whole bunch of people around the country fanatical about that so they could spread. Now, we have some issues, but the issues are not that gripping to most folk who would be impacted. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, tried to set up the Bull Moose Party and run independently. It didn't work. Uh, That was years and years ago. So we've had basically two parties. Uh, recently, and before that, we had the Tories and the Whigs, which were imported English parties. Now, here's the thing that we need to have in our minds because it offers an opportunity. The projections based on the current state of the population are that in 20, 25 years, there will no longer be a majority race or ethnic group in the country the largest minority will be Hispanic. The next largest minority will be your standard generic white person. And then we will come in as the third largest minority. Now in England, where they have a parliamentary system and they do not elect the prime minister or any of the officials, the party select them. You have to have a majority in in order to control the government and do these things. So when no one party gets a majority, and there are several parties in England, two or three of them will form a coalition so together they get the majority. So we need to start working on that. And to show you how vital that is, if you've ever had cause to visit a penitentiary, the Aryan Brotherhood's over there, the Klan, the American Nazis are over there, nobody bothers them. You have the Mexican street gangs and the black street gangs, and they're the ones that are shanking each other and jacking each other up on the yard. Interesting thing about it is the vatos, they play black music, black gangster rap, try to dress black, say black words. Instead of saying homie, they say homes, you know, and their thing is, do you habla espanol? Hey, hombre, man, do habla espanol muy bien, que comprende mucho, hey, vato, man. So you're all right with them as long as you have la espanol. Look at Puerto Rico. I got a good friend. She's a comedian. And she's got 14, 13 other siblings. And they all have the same mom and dad. One of them is three shades darker than you. And the other one's got blonde hair, blue eyes on the other end of the spectrum. And uh, she just looks like she's a brown-skinned, fine, tall sister. And one of the other sisters is... uh, looking like mulatto, short, and a little bit more curvy. So you get black folk together. And remember that song, the old one, There is a Rose in Spanish Harlem? So hmm. in Harlem, uh, look look at this animated thing on Spider-Man, the young black kid, 
well, he's a Puerto Rican, but he looks like he's black. Right. Mama looks black, daddy looks black, but all of them got Spanish surnames, <laughs> Puerto Rican. So we can form that alliance. It works in Puerto Rico. So we need to start working on that right now. But, you know, there are people that have a hustle where you can't work with anything. Man, it ain't nothing about buying. We just got to focus on black. Well, you know, I have to tell you, it's, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I have so many more questions, but we just don't have enough time to get to them all. Um, if you have anything else that you want to share with our audience, I want to give you the opportunity to go ahead. Okay, briefly. Yeah. Old phrase, power to the people. But the people have to be able to exercise that power and understand it. So that means that the people will have to educate themselves to become cool, calm, and collected, rational, logical, and reasonable, and get away from emotionalism. And the final point, truth has no face but truth itself. So where the truth is does not depend upon whether it's black, brown, red, or yellow. You know, truth of the matter is everybody's up out of Mother Africa some went to Europe and got mighty pale. Some went to Asia, got yellow. Some went from Asia to America, got red. Some came back around and a lot of folk got brown. So you still from Mother Africa. So somewhere in there is happening all over the world where it's beginning to get mixed back up and look like it kind of sort of used to. So, All right. Thank you, Judge Brown. And I just want to say, um, and what you were saying to add on to that, you know, uh, John Henry Clark said the only difference between uh, Jamaican, Caribbean, and those that probably landed in Puerto Rico or Hispaniola is a boat stop. So you are correct in that asset. Um, I also do want to say that uh, John Henry Clark also said that we have no friends and no allies. So um, a lot of times, you know, we want to have allyship with other people, but a lot of them show vitriol towards black America. And I think that once we become this political force, this political power, then we could join on to those that are going to respect us. But right now we have to do what we have to do for ourselves. No friends, no allies, just black America until things get better. So I want to say peace and black power. I love your uh, commentary, Judge Brown. Stay black and stay down, all right? Can I say one more thing real quick? One more thing. We're going to give you the last word, Judge. Okay. Is this going to be X-rated, R-rated, or general audiences? No, nah, this is for everybody. Go for it. For everybody. Well, let's put it this way. Politics is like a hoe on the street. You ain't getting no pussy unless you up the price. Okay. You know? So it's like you ain't getting nothing unless you giving something. Mm. And you ain't giving nothing unless you getting something. We got to understand that. Mm. <laughs> okay, that's why we got we, we, we to buy our politicians, like Chloe Anderson said. We got to buy them. We got to have the money. Yeah, we got to well, pay for the clothes. There you go. So I'm out of here. The judge has been in the house. You know, there's been JoJo coming strongly to you through your show. But, you know, though I float and don't walk on the surface of the planet, and if you touched me, you would verify that your senses didn't deceive you because I have come as promised and prophesied. I walk on my turn. Anyway, I'm out of here. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. All right.